0: Um, We are continuing our series listeners, uh, where we are examining yet another federal government cabinet level department. And this is a department, okay, that me and I kind of sort of know, perhaps a lot about. I would would say
1: a lot and yet there are some things that I still get surprised by. Because
0: I have made this my life. Departments, but I've made
1: (laughs) sort of made a career. Okay, so our newest episode is on the Department of Education. Yes, and it is no surprise to listeners, um, long or short short time listeners, that Augie and I have been embroiled in the Department of Education doings for (laughs) our entire adult lives because we have been employees of educational institutions for more years probably more years together than, you know, practically any presidential candidate has been alive. Yes. Um, Sorry, little jab at the, at the old guys who run for president. But anyway, so like, we are part of the Department of Education. When, um, when people say, I don't like government employees, I think to myself, you know, I'm a government employee, right? (laughs) Like, it's weird for you to say that to me. Uh, you know, government employees just take and take. I'm like, we really don't. We really right. don't. Most of us are just in here in the trench trying to do the yeah, best we yeah. can. When I
0: get into social situations, Nia, and I hear somebody say, you know, fat cat the,
1: government employees. I'm like, you know, I don't make that much money, right? Yeah. Like, or
0: they, they're like, you know, you can't fire government employees. I'm just like, you know, I'm a government employee, and I've actually been fired a number of times. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay. Right. Trust me, it can happen. It might be a little difficult, but it can happen. But we're going to talk about a department. And listeners, by the way, we
1: should should clarify what Augie means when he says he's been fired. He's been let go because of budgetary. Sorry, Augie, we can't afford to keep you. Not we're firing you because you're a horrible professor or because you, you know, embezzled Poly sci funds or none or, of or, that. Or, you know,
0: where I, I showed up for two months and didn't do a darn bit of work. Now, that's right. None of that. Right.
1: Or you had yeah. torrid affairs with students, yeah. right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, none yeah, yeah. of that has been the case. It's always been budgetary. Yeah. Sorry, I just want to clarify in case people say, what? Augie oh, got fired. What did you get fired for? You got fired because in higher education, if you are an adjunct or if you're a term faculty member, even though you get a year contract, what they can say at the end of the year contract is, can't afford you for next year. Sorry, bye. And that's yeah. the end of that.
0: There's... And that's why so many government employees pay attention to the budget process. Right.
1: <laughs> when the General Assembly meets in March, man, every state employee's got their antenna up, listening to. Because
0: when 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 we hear things reported like across the board spending cuts, <laughs> we're like, oh, rut row shaggy. Right.
1: right. right. Exactly. Rut Um But that the, the thing Excuse about okay so,
0: uh, uh, for the um scooby-doo reference uh, oh
1: no we love scooby-doo if it um, wasn't for those meddling kids
0: yeah, those dastardly kids if it yes. wasn't
1: for those meddling kids so and so would have gotten away with something yes um so the thing about our our uh this this series is that we have done them in chronological order yes. and so we are up to 1979 but that's actually not Quite true in this particular instance, right? Because it's not like in 1979 we discovered that we shot we should be educating children in the United States.
0: Yeah, of, of all the departments, Nia, this one has probably had the long gestation period. Okay. Because the first iteration of the Department of Education. Was in 1867, immediately after the Civil War, um, President Andrew Johnson signed legislation that created a Department of Education. And at the time, it was basically just a department that acted as a clearinghouse of statistics. Okay, it was supposed to collect information and in statistics about the nation's schools. Because oh, so
1: it didn't actually make policy or anything like that about the schools. It just sort yes. of how many kids do we have in school and what grade levels and what, what's going on in the
0: States? Because remember or recall, Nia, public education was just beginning in the United States at this time. Because right. before the Civil War, if there was any, you know, young People education it was typically done in private schools, most of which were related to religious organizations okay
1: right or the occasional private tutoring but not
0: yes. yeah you did not have a formal system run by government
1: and you certainly did not have a formal system where anybody other than the wealthy yes were going to have access to most of that
0: yes and and, and what was eye-opening was this department lasted about a year because states pushed back and were concerned that the federal department of education would exercise too much control over local schools. So one year... As we
1: see later, that actually becomes the case.
0: Yes, I mean... So they had
1: reason to be concerned. Now also... I, I think listeners should keep in mind that in
0: 1968,
1: the idea—I mean, 1868—sorry, <laughs> the idea of the federal government telling you what to do oh. for some states oh. would have been would have been right out. I mean, if you—I'm looking at the South, right? The South is barely kept in the Union. They're not going to accept administration for, from a federal agency.
0: In terms of eras of federalism, this is smack dab in the middle of the era of dual federalism and in dual federalism the federal government was responsible for certain policy areas states were responsible for others and education was certainly not part of the domain of the federal government neo okay um, okay states really push back so this department gets relegated to and office status, the office of education.
1: <laughs> Which I assume became a hot potato.
0: Oh passed is
1: from passed from agency to agent or from department to department as they get created, right? Yes.
0: Okay. It stayed small, it operated under different titles. It was housed in the Department of Interior for a long period of time. And then it became part of health education and welfare which was the precursor to a department we've already discussed, Health and Human Services.
1: Right, HHS, (laughs) Q to HHS. Yes,
0: but things begin to change post-World War II. Okay, and we see this again with so many of the departments that we've talked about. You know, after the war, we see some rather significant changes in American society.
1: Yeah, World War II was transformative on just about every level possible.
0: Yeah, not just foreign policy or the role of the US in in global but international affairs.
1: Huge amounts of internal stuff and yes. you get you get commerce and labor and all kinds of stuff that are doing much more much different stuff than they were doing before because or the war.
0: Yes. Right. Okay. And in particular. As we move into the 1950s, um, you really see the expansion of federal government funding for education. There are a number of reasons for this. Nia, you can probably guess the first one.
1: Then, I, um, I'm assuming that it was co- the Cold War. It's related to the Cold War yeah, and yes. the perceived sort of idea that the Russians might be ahead of us. Yes. In. In math and science and technology, because Sputnik scared the crap out of people. My yes. my father used to tell me that they would go outside and wait for it to go over, and as he put it, beep ominously in Russian, <laughs> which I don't know how one beeps in Russian. Um, <laughs> I imagine if it did beep, it would be ominous, but I don't think you could hear it.
0: But yeah, uh, uh, listeners, what listeners, what me is talking about is um, the Soviet Union in 1957. Um, uh, uh, you know, shot out into space, okay? They launched Sputnik. Yes, they launched uh, Sputnik, okay? Uh, and it and
1: scared the ever-living snot out of American citizens.
0: Which then... That they were that, that they were of... now,
1: they now had something that could go over our heads on a regular basis. Like, when yes. you think about it, that really is scary, right? This idea of, of the Soviets controlling space.
0: And... And in the finest democratic, political, if you will, process, scared U.S. citizens put pressure on members of Congress, who then went ahead and asked the Eisenhower administration, in effect, what the heck's going on, right? (laughs) Okay, Are we losing the space race, Right? right? Are we losing the space race to those dreaded, and I'm using Cold War jargon here,
1: Commie, pinko, Russians. Yeah,
0: right. Those those dreaded commies, right? Right. So then you move into the 1960s, right? And we get a president, President Johnson, who has a, 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 a fundamental plank of his war on poverty, called for the creation of a number of programs to educate poor students at all levels.
1: Because he had been a principal.
0: Of a very
1: poor school in Texas. That's right. And a lot of what he noticed was kids that were hungry, kids that were struggling, didn't do well in school. And he wanted to try to fix the fundamental underpinnings of why they weren't doing well, which was poverty. If he could fix poverty, then kids would be able to have breakfast and settle in and learn things, which would have them do better in school. I mean, he, he made logical connections there.
0: Yeah, I mean, and this, this becomes, you know, the, the logic of uh, the Head Start program, school lunches, okay, if kids are going to school hungry, and they remain hungry, they're not learning, and if they right. don't learn, okay, they don't finish school. And if At, they don't, right,
1: they quit or they fall behind, and Okay, yeah.
0: and if they don't finish school then they don't graduate they don't And then graduate. we get a
1: whole nation full of people who are looking up at Russian satellites cuz we can't do anything about it. That's right. I mean that's the the that's the long-term carry on of that, right? Yeah. Is that if you have yes. an uneducated population, you lose all kinds of races not just the space race, but you lose And, and he also a lot of that also had to do with segregation. Yes. And and the fact that a lot of schools of color, kids of color, their schools were significantly worse.
0: Yes. Um, just and, that's, and this is where you see one of the landmark pieces of legislation in the war on poverty in the mid-1960s. In 1965, Johnson convinced Congress to pass the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which gave a whole bunch of money from the feds to the states and it had explicit conditions on the receipt of that federal aid, including the one you just mentioned. School districts had to demonstrate that they had a desegregation plan in place that they were implementing. Right. And and then this gets extended in the 1970s, okay, to not only help racial minorities, but women, students with disabilities, and non-English speaking students. Because again, the thought was oh, equal access to education. Would right? make
1: all the boats rise. If everybody yes. Yes. has equal education, then we can get everybody is, everybody's situation is better. And just as a side note, I'm not entirely certain that listeners are aware, but prior to the 1970s, children with disabilities did not go to school. No. They weren't educated for the most part, or they were educated at home with yes. private tutors or their parents. Yes. And so they were not, part of what you learn in school is how to be with other people, right? A lot of what you learn in school isn't about what the teacher teaches you from the book. It's what the teacher teaches you about how to be in the world and yeah, how to. The,
0: necessarily just the three R's. Right. Writing and arithmetic, right? It's you know showing up every single day it's sharing
1: that, it's perseverance yeah, it's, it's, it's interacting
0: you know, it's, with with uh, other students who are different than you right it's curiosity have, it's it's you know who have different homes okay come from different cultures they may speak different languages or they may speak english differently than you do okay
1: and that's a good thing cuz that's it, a good thing that's right it gives it, right. you it makes you a better global citizen right so Um, So that's a wonderful thing that we see in the 70s is when, especially, I mean, all of those folks need access, but especially children with disabilities were being more and more integrated into regular classrooms because they are regular people. They're regular people with a a difference that needs to be accommodated in some way so that they can have a full experience in, in the educational setting.
0: That's right. Instead of
1: being shunted off to, right, to that room and to that building at the end of a school where they used to send kids, which isn't helpful to those kids at all. We know that that doesn't help them developmentally.
0: Yes. Anyway. And and it furthers this idea that they are different or other. Right. Okay.
1: Which is not how we want anybody to feel.
0: Feel. That's right. Okay. And you want the majority of students to understand that they're not other. Okay. They are one of us, okay, who, um, you know, uh, have knowledge, skills, and abilities just like we do, okay?
1: Uh, Everybody is in there in the pool together, (laughs) learning learning and failing alongside each other, right? Because that's part of education. Part of of how it should be. It's not a big department, is it?
0: Uh, No, Uh, because when it was created in 1979, okay? um, basically, uh, and this is, again, again another uh, uh, common characteristic among these departments, is that the Department of Education basically combined offices from a number of federal agencies, and when began its operation in May of in 1980, um, it only had a couple thousand employees, today, It has the smallest staff of all cabinet departments. Um, It has a little under 4,500 employees.
1: Which I'm pretty sure is the number
0: of freshmen that we have at VCU each year. That's right. (laughs) Okay. But it does have a significant budget. Again, uh, this is a really good example of cooperative federalism because it directs, okay. A budget of over 68 billion dollars and almost all of it is directed to K through 12 schools or colleges and universities right
1: it's those 4,500 people are not spending are are not spending directly spending 68 billion dollars they are
0: giving it to other that's right right. and
1: my guess is that the 4,500 their job is to give it out and then evaluate whether the whether the money was used successfully and properly or not. That's right. So probably their job is a whole lot of, tell us how you spent the money, like auditing yes. the $68 billion to make sure it's being spent right. But can I make a wild hair guess here? Yes. That if something, if Jimmy Carter in 1979 said, we ought to have a Department of Education. That was a terrible, oh, I don't know even where that came from. I don't know what I was trying to do there. But anyway, if he said we should I have think, a Department I, I, of Education.
0: I think, listeners, Nia was attempting okay, a, a a uh, Jeep uh,
1: Georgia drawl, and I it failed at it miserably. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. Um, so, and I'm guessing that what Ronald Reagan said was, I shall set fire to this thing. This thing cannot be allowed to exist. No one should have an education. There should be no Department of Education. It's a waste. It's useless and terrible. Am I right about that?
0: You are correct. Because they
1: had a rather contentious presidential.
0: A series of debates, yeah, yeah.
1: They were not that. That was, I mean, I don't think they were uncivil. I, like, I don't think Reagan would have said because Jimmy Carter is evil and should be burned at the stake. Like, I don't think they were like that. No, but I think that anything that Carter would have said would have been a good idea. He automatically would have said, probably not.
0: They had a different conception of the role of the federal government, okay. Right. Um, Jimmy Carter, okay fundamentally believed that the federal government could be uh, a positive change agent, whereas, and and by the way, both of them were former governors, right? Right, because Ronald Reagan was governor
1: of California California. and Jimmy Carter was governor of Georgia.
0: That's right, Um, but Reagan's perspective was um, there are things that the federal government does that are redundant, um to what state governments have been doing for decades or in the case of education for well over a century because as reagan pointed out okay all 50 states at that point had departments of education so they why, didn't need
1: a yeah, federal. So why you, yeah. So why are well, right. why are
0: you creating a federal department of education? Why is this
1: not just a committee within Congress or something like yeah, that right? that, okay. that has audit auditing um facility?
0: But Reagan was never able to convince the Democratically controlled Congress <laughs> to scrap the Department of Education. Okay. Um
1: Well, and now thinking about it, I'm not sure how good a look that would be. Well, you know what we don't need in this country? Education. education. You know what I mean? Like, that's the implications there are not good, although it wasn't just him that tried, right? There were other Republicans
0: that were sort of. Well, what, what was interesting was how quickly the Republican Party kind of sort of changed its tune as we get into the 1990s. Because the Newt Gingrich-led revolution in the United States Congress, the infamous contract with America. Oh, yes. The Congress, um, it took control in 1994, which made, you know, President Bill Clinton's life not all that pleasant, <laughs> but <laughs> did you like mm, the Impeachment,
1: there? I know. Mm, <laughs> impeachment, not Uh, Not all that pleasant. Yes, one could argue impeachment is unpleasant.
0: The, The Republican Party was kind of sort of schizophrenic in the 1990s in regards to the Department of Education, because on one hand, funding for Department of Education initiatives just soared, right? On the other hand, the Republican Party kept in its national convention platform calls to get rid of the Department of (laughs) Education, okay? Um, um, And and President Clinton, to his credit, okay, um, took advantage of that schizophrenia because funding just soared, okay? But here comes the problem. By the time we get to the end of the decade, okay, the federal government was spending billions of dollars on education but guess what countries students were not scoring well okay on tests on assessment right. Americans right so the united states according to you know uh, some reports was in the top 5 in the world on education spending but in regards to student scores on standardized tests okay barely cracked the top 30. So there was this huge disconnect. We're spending a whole bunch of money, a lot of it federal, okay, but we don't seem to be getting the results. And this led to one of the most controversial public policies passed by Congress and signed into law. And what law am I talking about, Nia?
1: Are you talking about no child left behind?
0: And no child left behind. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and
1: no child left behind is hard for me. <laughs> because I like the idea that we will educate every single child. Yes. Right? But it frustrates me that I think some children get moved through the system when they are not prepared for the next grade. Yes. And instead of saying, we're not, we're not going to push you through, we're going to keep you... If you have to be in the eighth grade until you're 15, because that's when we feel comfortable moving you to the ninth grade, then that's just what we're going to do. And I don't think we do that anymore. I think we are very. What we ended up with were the SOLs, which yeah. are the 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 level grade level tests that they have, and.
0: Yeah. So what many Americans don't recall about No Child Left Behind was that it was a policy that was bipartisan in nature. Right. Basically, and it
1: threw a lot of money at the at the Department of Education.
0: Basically, Senator uh, Democratic Senator Ted Kennedy um, uh, made the argument: um, our K through twelve schools needed more money. And the Republicans said, okay, fine. We'll we'll sign off on giving those schools more money, but we want greater accountability for how that money is spent. And what it led to was, uh, listeners, what Nia just mentioned. Um, Written into the law was um, uh, requirements that students in each state, in each school district, had to do, okay, so well, if they wanted to continue to receive their full allotment of No Child Left Behind money. Now, what this led to was the imposition or the use of standardized tests, which as we now know, don't necessarily accurately measure student learning, but it also led to many school systems both at the state, but also at the local level, engaging in what became known as social promotion, okay? And it, and yeah. cheating. Cheating, yeah, that's we right. We had
1: a problem in RPS, in the Richmond Public Schools with certain schools because yeah. they gave money to a school based on its improvement. Like if you could improve your kids' scores, then you got more money for your school yeah, the next right. school year, so it, it it encouraged people who had loose moral standards to either finish tests for students that didn't finish them with the proper answers. That's or right. Or change answers. And it wasn't until a, an investigative journalist here in Richmond started looking at the scores and saying, "It's not possible that a student was doing an average." Averagely well on a test until the last 20 questions when they suddenly got all of them right. Like that's not mathematically, that's not a thing. And what it was was teachers finishing the test for students that didn't finish.
0: Yeah. So you a had whole scandal here. You had, cheating, you had social promotion. So it's if, a
1: big scandal in Richmond.
0: If schools at the state and local level did not meet certain pass rates, then they lost money. Um, uh, So you had, in some cases, um, uh, schools or school districts populated um, uh, with a significant number of minority students who were losing money. Um, uh, Republicans thought that there was too much cheating, too much social promotion going on. So Republicans were just like, we need to stop spending so much money. Um, you had democrats who were just like no we need more money you had teachers who were like standardized tests okay don't properly measure um, student learning you had students who absolutely hated the standardized tests right because if they didn't pass them at certain benchmark years then they couldn't move on to the next grade (laughs)
1: okay well Um, and the tests are written in ways that favor certain folks over
0: other folks yeah certain populations i mean because let's face it there's a whole group of young people who just don't do well on standardized tests right okay but if you sit them down in front of a teacher and do an oral test okay uh they do extremely well
1: right there's that group and there's also if the curriculum teaches to a certain kind of socioeconomic or class or racial group, then anybody who's not in that group is not going to do well on the test, right? So there's, there's all kinds of things that were sort of wrong with that. But I think that what's interesting about that controversy is that I suspect that it takes us to the next controversy. Yes. Which is the, the Title IX controversy that comes out of the Obama administration like the Department of Education seems to me like it is just sort of one one controversy to the next controversy to the next controversy and that's because it's really hard to decide how to educate kids there is no universal answer to that question if you ask two different parents what do you want your kid to learn in school you are going to get four or five different responses from those two parents because the more they think about it the more they think, oh, and I want them to know this, and I don't want them to know that, right? Like, Well, then you also have... Specific... And how do you universalize that yeah, across...
0: Students learn differently, right? We know this, right? But when you're talking about large school districts or at the state level, large school systems, the task is very difficult because you want to go ahead and teach to. Or teach as many students as possible with the available resources. So, the more you go ahead and differentiate on individual students, the less cost effective it becomes, right? right? You know, it's kind of sort of like the assembly line, right? The reason why assembly lines worked was they were cranking out, okay, Ford Mustangs that all looked the same.
1: <laughs> right. Right? <laughs> right, right. My job is to screw in this widget on 4,000 machines as they come through. Yeah. Shk, shk, shk. Okay. And kids just aren't widgets. They're all, I mean, yeah, they're di- the great thing about them is they're all different little people
0: yeah, who that's, need to be. That's right. Okay.
1: You know, you can have 10 kids in your family and you've got 10 very different personalities because kids are.
0: Kids are different, right? Yeah. And they learn differently, right? So but then we get. Get the Obama administration Um Okay, so for listeners, if you don't know, in 1972, um, uh, uh, the United States Congress passed educational amendments to the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And part of those amendments in 1972, um, and it's the part of the code, Title IX of the code, okay, um, reads no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any educational program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. It's and, 27 words.
1: And, and in those magical 27 words, the uh, as far as I'm aware, the intent of Congress in 1972 was to basically say, Girls' sports are just as important as boys' sports. Yes. Girls should like like because at that point, a huge number of schools didn't have girls' sports. They had the boys' basketball team, they had the football team, they had the boys' soccer team, they had the boys' baseball team. Yes. And girls were cheerleaders. Yes. Like, girls didn't, they might have been flagged, they might have been in the marching band, but they weren't. Yes. They weren't in on the field. And so part of that was girls should play sports. Girls should have equal support financially from an institution to play sports. So if you have a football team, you also need to have a lacrosse team for girls. Or you need to have if a softball team if you have a baseball team. Right? Whatever it is, girls basketball. So that girls can be active in in those activities, because those activities are perceived as team building and leadership building and learning how to deal with loss, learning how to deal with public embarrassment and humiliation, potentially, yep. right? Like all those things. That's the intent of that, I think, right? Is that where?
0: Well, it, th- that was the intent of the sponsor of Title IX, uh, Senator uh, uh, Birch Bayh from Indiana. And that's how the law was implemented by various presidential administrations from Gerald Ford, okay, the whole, or excuse me, first Richard Nixon, through Bush 43. But the Obama administration, okay, um, shall we say reoriented the implementation strategy.
1: They had a different reading of that.
0: Yes, they did. Um, The Obama administration in 2011 issued what has now become rather infamous, okay, for its beginning, Dear Colleague, and it basically... Oh, the
1: Dear Colleague letter.
0: It's the Dear Colleague letter, okay, and they basically went ahead and said that institutions of higher education had to, quote, to take immediate and effective steps to end sexual harassment and sexual violence on their campuses, okay? Um,
1: Which is not a disagreeable thing.
0: It's not a disagreeable College
1: campuses should have been doing that anyway because they it's have. never good to have sexual harassment and sexual violence. Like, but that should point, not have been okay. And I don't the, know that it was okay.
0: But the complaint was many colleges, universities were brushing those incidents under the table, to the side, right? Because they didn't want the negative publicity attached to their "quote unquote" brand, right? Right. Okay. We can't go ahead and tell. Okay, parents of high school seniors, send your kids to college, okay? Because this it will be a crime and violence-free environment. If it wasn't. If it wasn't. But the Obama administration went ahead and said, if colleges and universities did not comply, they could possibly lose all federal government education monies, including financial aid for their students. (laughs) Yike. That's a lot of money. That is a huge amount of money. A huge amount of money. Okay. Now. The Obama administration's Dear Colleague letter was considered advisory or regulatory guidance. So the Obama administration never went through the Administrative Procedures Act. Amateur move. It was, yes. Okay. And when it was happening, a whole bunch of us who teach administrative law were like, they should have went through notice and comment. Right?
1: Yeah, it would have saved them a lot of heartache.
0: Because guess what happened when Donald Trump was elected president in 2016?
1: Oh, I have to assume that he rescinded that uh, post-haste and immediately.
0: Yes. the Trump And
1: was- probably on pretty good advice from attorneys of, you can't just go around threatening institutions. Like, there needs to be a proper process to this.
0: Yes. And you're just, dis- in, in Nia, you mentioning proper process. When students were being uh, prosecuted, maybe that's the wrong word. When When students were being disciplined by colleges and universities for violating their sexual harassment and sexual assault policies, many of these students were complaining that they were not receiving due process of law as required by the 5th and 14th Amendments. So many of those students, most of which were male students, filed lawsuits in federal court. And not all, but most federal courts went ahead and concluded that these colleges, universities, okay, following the guidance of the Obama administration were violating the U.S. Constitution. So the Trump administration. Comes yeah,
1: in many instances, people who were accused were not given access to an advisor or an attorney, attorney or anyone to give them sort of helpful advice about what to say, what to do, how to act, how to be. And.
0: that. And this is difficult because. On one hand. The Obama administration wanted colleges and universities to take sexual harassment and sexual assault more seriously.
1: Right. Because in many instances, accusers were brushed aside or told to get over it or told to go to counseling, but they weren't, but they were not taken seriously as victims. That's right. And they were not given their due process of seeing that person punished for harming them. Right. Right. Like it was bad on both sides. It was unfair on both
0: sides. I mean, because from the Obama administration's logic, if you don't feel safe, then how can you learn? Right. And that creates an unequal educational environment. Okay. On the other hand, as the federal courts pointed out, okay, college degrees, being able to finish your program of study, okay, affects. Okay, the property and liberty and life interests of those accused of sexual harassment and sexual violence. Okay, so you got these conflicting imperatives. The Trump administration comes in and says, we're rescinding the Dear Colleagues letter, and we're going to go through the Administrative Procedures Act, which they did. Okay, So they made it uh, more difficult for colleges and universities um, to discipline um, their students who had been charged with sexual assault or sexual harassment, gave them more due process. But Trump loses in 2020, the Biden administration comes in and the Biden administration has announced that it intends to create new regulations that honor the Obama administration's dear colleague letter.
1: Which I am for, I have to say. I, I think that as long as they do it properly, they go through APA, but also they put into, into the new regulation, how they give guidance to universities about how they really are supposed to do this properly. Everyone there needs to be represented. Everyone there needs to be, to be treated with respect and dignity, and the process needs to be transparent, everybody needs to understand, you know, all of that, I think if they did that, that would be helpful to universities. It's, And it would be helpful to victims and accused, Um, because if we don't have that fundamental, you and I have a fundamental belief that the court system, while flawed in the United States, is still a heck of a lot better than a lot of other court systems because there are rules that govern the process how you do yes. right the process yeah. yeah how
0: you do it right because how you do it is in many instances just as important as what is done
1: exactly okay? it needs to be a predictable understandable process so that everyone knows how to act in within the process That's what right. their expectations should be
0: in, 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 in you just and said, when it's
1: just arbitrary from an institution, institution at this institution we assume this or at this
0: institution we assume that it yes. means there's no that it's that expectation Nia, right okay i mean in 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 you see this you know in criminal trials um and that's one of the you know the importances of attorneys right is they can go ahead and explain the process um but it's also you know for victims you know, what is your expectation if you do go ahead and report, okay, an incident of sexual harassment or sexual violence? Um, And, you know, and maybe colleges, universities have to come to grips with the fact that there are certain events that colleges, universities are not good at processing.
1: Right, that what they need to do is say, okay, we're going to get we're going, to, we're going to make sure that both of you have access to attorneys, and we're going to help you through the process of reporting this to the police and having it prosecuted as an actual, you know, like having it prosecuted in a court of law, I shouldn't say as an actual crime, because it's an actual crime no matter what whether it's prosecuted or not. But I think that there's, there's some real um, benefit to making it clearer what the government expects universities to do. And I think you're right, that that would make the process protective for everyone. Yes. Here, here's what, and it would ensure that each case is treated equally, right? That it's not arbitrary compared to who the administrator is at the time. If you come through with a soft administrator, that person leaves, and two years later, somebody harder comes in, and that that victims and accused are treated the same yes. In the same way, Um, it's one of the, one of the things that theoretically is good about the system is that because there are guidelines, it's fair to everybody, or it's fair to nobody, but uh, we prefer fair to everybody.
0: So, you know, that's where we kind of sort of stand right now. Um, So we'll see
1: where that goes. But first, President Biden has to get over the hump of giving people relief on their student loans.
0: Yes. Which uh, is the other
1: controversy that's going on. That so as we have controversy in Bush, then we have controversy with with um uh, Obama, then we have controversy with Trump. Now we have controversy with Biden and one of his controversies or his but probably going to be his biggest controversy is the student the loan
0: forgiveness program. Forgiveness yes.
1: program. That yeah. will be the one where if we were doing this episode 5 years from now, we would list that for him.
0: Yeah, it would be
1: like, remember when he tried to, you know, yeah, and we don't did, know what the outcome of that is going to be.
0: Yeah, we don't know what the outcome is going to be. Um, for it's Lips- being
1: fought in court, isn't it, right now?
0: Yes, there have been a number of lawsuits. So far, all but one have been dismissed by federal judges uh, because of lack of standing of those challenging the Student Loan Forgiveness Program. But it's a big deal, Nia. I mean, it. The is congressional... it has it
1: been re, re has it been rejected by um judges from both who both. were appointed by both sides of the, the political by spectrum, both
0: Democrat uh, and uh, Republican presidents? Yes, okay, so it's not a partisan, no, but the impact is rather significant. Um, the Congressional Budget Office has projected that. If the student loan forgiveness program is implemented, um, it will cost the federal government (laughs) well over $600 billion. That's a lot of money.
1: (laughs) That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. I don't know. It's a complicated, right? It's Um, complicated because there are certain folks that I totally understand why they are why you would want to forgive their loans they were either duped by institutions that were fly-by-night institutions and you know what i mean like that that they in good faith entered that contract and then didn't get what they were supposed to get i also understand for people below certain means means testing that, that those individuals probably should see some forgiveness for their student loans. If you got out of college and you ended up working as a social worker and you make $33,000 a year, probably you should be somebody that we would consider that for. And yet, the, they were set considerably higher than that well, for yeah, reasons and- that you and I have discussed, I think, in the past off, off list, but having to do with um, who's taking out those loans and who's, who votes? Um yeah,
0: because uh, many of the people who have significant student loan debt are not in the lowest socioeconomic status. Right. Um, and increasingly, they vote Democratic. So for many commentators it looked like the Biden administration was buying votes before the midterm elections um, in fall of 2022. Even if that was the case, the the, the legal issue is, did the president have the authority right. in law to do this? Uh, because as even supporters of the loan forgiveness program have pointed out, it would have been far better constitutionally and legally, if the Biden administration had gotten the United States Congress to approve the loan forgiveness program. Because according to the U.S. Constitution, all spending bills should originate with the House of Representatives.
1: And one could argue that forgiveness is spending.
0: Like I said, I mean, when the Congressional Budget Office goes ahead and predicts that it has the potential of costing the federal government Okay, over six hundred billion dollars. Yeah, that's a spend. you know that's the government spending taxpayer dollars to forgive student loans right
1: and And there's arguments about how much because CBO also, like they came out with that, and then the Biden administration, in answer to one of the lawsuits, changed the eligibility. Of certain groups, they can't get it that they they originally well, the thought they might.
0: Said you don't have to,
1: right? Well, but they also changed the uh, consolidation loan date. If you hadn't done it before a certain date, then you couldn't qualify. And right, there's all these other things because um, because that's what happens in politics. It's messy there in the middle, and we can't predict where that's going to go because we're in the messy part. We're not
0: in the clear changes that the Biden administration has made to the loan forgiveness program after it announced it. Right. (laughs) part of the reason why it's being challenged in court, because if you go through notice and comment rulemaking, you You don't
1: have that problem.
0: Yeah, you have to officially say this is the regulation. Okay now
1: react to it now react
0: to instead it instead
1: of instead of this this executive order is a moving target
0: yes and again, if one of the purposes of law is is <laughs> is to establish behavioral norms
1: and predictability
0: you' <laughs> failed
1: <laughs> okay. yeah, right, okay you know i the I, only thing predictable about this is that it caused a furor. Okay, that yeah. was the only predictable aspect of this. Nobody even knows whether, it, if it does apply, who it's going to apply to exactly and whether those people are going to have to apply or not apply. And then if it does apply, does it apply to the principal or does it apply to the principal plus the interest? Like there's all these questions and they're like, yeah, we'll answer that at some point. Like, no, no, you should probably have the answers to that now, right? Like,
0: <laughs> Listeners, if... You, if we actually have video for these podcast recordings, <laughs> you would see me with a very tortured face right now because Nia's heard me say this uh, off recording a number of times. Okay, I would just like to have a presidential administration. Okay, and we haven't had it for a number of years. Okay, and I'm not talking about just Biden or Trump administrations. Okay, you could probably go back as far as Bush 43 or maybe Clinton. I would just like a presidential administration that goes ahead and says, okay, we're going to do this correctly, right? Right. We're going to do it with public notice and comment. Okay. We're just not going to go ahead and make stuff up and then basically say to a bunch of people, if you got a problem with this, challenge it in court.
1: Yeah, the most, uh, probably, uh, I think Augie and I would agree that the most egregious thing, and we're getting away from the Department of Education, so we'll we'll have to get back to that, but the most egregious thing that presidents do these days is pull out their pen and sign executive orders. They they just need to stop doing that, and Congress needs to stop allowing it. Yes. Because every time Congress rolls over and says, well, okay, then... You know, that's a a concession of their power, which is a concession away from the people and to the executive, and that is a terrible
0: idea. In bringing this back to the Department of Education, we've seen this twice, okay, in in roughly (laughs) the last 11 years, right? Yeah, it just has to stop. Just just stop it, right? Just, you know, this this, (laughs) is... No you hear way. Augie's
1: frustration when he's going. Ah, ah, ah. You
0: know, yes. this, is, this is no way to go ahead and, manage, and run a country. <laughs> well, or, or manage a Department of Education,
1: or a Department of anything. Okay, like it Just, it shouldn't have to be like this.
0: Yes, but speaking <laughs> of the Department of Education, we always and the people that. who manage them. We
1: we do we we usually end with sort of notable secretaries, and, and so, there have
0: been a bunch of them in the short history of the department of education
1: yeah remember this thing is 32 years old
0: okay so the first one okay i mean president carter starts off okay very noteworthy shirley hofstetter okay stedler excuse me um uh, uh she was the first female okay reagan okay Again, remember, the Reagan administration wanted to get rid of the Department of Education. He, but his, his second one, okay? Because as we've noted
1: before, Reagan had no secretaries that lasted the entire. No. Mm. Uh, I mean. No, okay. Yeah. It's it, only so long you could work for President Reagan. Well, he
0: gave them a lot of responsibility and not surprisingly, okay, after a while you get burned out. right Right. okay he picked william bennett okay um who was very critical of the nation's public school system
1: why do i know the name william bennett
0: because later on in the bush 41 administration he was the country's drug czar (laughs)
1: oh he was on the war the war on drugs okay
0: yes yes continuing and ever failing war on drugs okay okay Interestingly enough, Reagan also had a first in our country's history, the first Hispanic to serve in any president's uh, cabinet, uh, lauro uh, Cavazos, okay? Did that makes were-
1: sense actually for Reagan because out of California, he would have worked with a, a large number of Hispanic slash Latinx yes. folk. Yes, okay. Um
0: Bush 41, uh also had um, a well-known politician, somebody near and dear to uh, me and Nia's heart. Uh, and who
1: has the most marvelous name?
0: Lamar. Lamar, Lamar Alexander. Alexander. He was uh, the former governor of Tennessee. If and... that
1: doesn't sound like a guy from Tennessee, what's his name? Lamar Alexander? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's just, anyway.
0: He... And, and Afterwards, he became senator from the right. state of Tennessee. Okay.
1: Yeah, which isn't usually a thing that governors can do. They don't usually pull that off. Tim Kaine pulled it off here in Virginia.
0: So did Mark Warner.
1: And Mark Warner, but yeah. it's not a common
0: No, I not a know. common thing. Um, Rod Page uh, was Bush 43's education secretary. He was the first African American in that position. And then our last one. And, she, and by far the most controversial. She is a conversation starter. Again, oh my gosh. She's a lightning rod. Yes. She's a giant lightning rod, bless her yes, heart. Right. And not surprisingly, she was picked by President Trump. Right. Betsy DeVos, right? Um, um, and 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 as Nia well knows, at one point in time, okay, I was uh actually um Um, invited uh, to apply for a position working in the Department of Education for Secretary DeVos. (laughs) Yep. Uh,
1: Yes. I'm glad we kept you.
0: Wow. Oh, ain't that sweet. (laughs) And
1: then the current is uh, Miguel Cardona,
0: right? Yes. Yes. Okay. He's the current yeah, well, he's been getting a lot of FaceTime because he's the one who has to go in front of the press and, <laughs> talk and, and, about the loan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I have to say, before we before we wrap up, I just want to say something about the controversies and the and the secretaries. So there's been a se- there's been a controversy for every secretary, right? All of them have had something they had to deal with because Shirley Huffstedler, I'm sure, had to defend the very creation. Yes. Right. So, like, from the beginning, that has not been a fun job.
0: No, no. But
1: you just know that, that you know, so... I don't know. Somebody puts their feet out of bed in the morning, they get up, they, they turn on, they, they lift up their phone, they look at it. And the first thing they see is something that they're going to have to answer for with the press. Yes, And they think, yeah, oh, crap. And they turn around and they stare at the bed and they think I could just get back in bed and go back to sleep. Right. <laughs> like I, don't, and then they, then they go and they get dressed and have breakfast and go to work and do whatever it is they do. Right. But I, I feel bad for those people in part, And and I'm not suggesting um, that any person is good or bad, or you know. Sorry, let me let me rephrase that. All people are both good and bad, right? All people are human. Betsy DeVos had the, I think, misfortune to work for Donald Trump. I think she probably intended well when she took that position, because I think most people intend well when they take a a government position, and and they have to work for people who are, in his particular case, but also we're seeing with President Biden, somewhat changeable in their day-to-day Right? Like, when they get a little bit of pushback, they move in a different direction pretty quickly. And now the secretaries are going, ah, and they're trying to follow along and, and keep up, right? So I feel bad for those people that they have to do that. Well, I'm sure that Cardonia was... Every day, when there's a slight change to whatever this is that's going to be, that's a reaction from the White House, he has to clean that up. He has to.
0: Yeah. And, 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 Nia, to your point, you know, many of these secretaries of education, like many of the secretaries for the other departments that you know, we've discussed, they've had long careers in a particular subject area, okay? And they're passionate okay, they want to do good, okay, and this might be the culmination (laughs) of a long career, right, and and you wake up in the morning, and you're just like, you know, I want to, I want to move my department, I want to lead my department to educate the nation's young people, and here I am talking about, okay, who qualifies for student loan forgiveness, Okay. And we do a lot of other good things, but nobody in the press is asking me about that stuff. They're asking me about, okay. So when do you think this is going to be implemented? Right. Okay.
1: Or, you know, General Austin comes back from a trip visiting the troops blah 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 and he turns on the radio and president biden says something like we're this far from a nuclear disaster and he goes oh crap because now he's got a <laughs> right now he's got to he's got to go in front of the press and not only does he have to not make his boss look bad right but he, he's got to go
0: ahead and basically... But he's got to
1: calm down. He's got to reassure or, the
0: press corps...
1: Right, that we're or, not, that that there's not a nuclear bomb actually on its
0: way to Washington, right? Yeah. Like, Okay, so, you know, or, you know... It's thinking, that
1: kind of thing. Or, you know, Pete Buttigieg, when they say, we're going to spend $10 trillion on transportation, and we're going to start tomorrow. And he's like, wait, what? Well, I had he, plans for tomorrow. Like... <laughs>
0: Or 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 you know you're the head of the Centers for Disease Control, right. and your boss goes on 60 Minutes and says and announces the pandemic's over, and you're like, whoa, hey, what?
1: <laughs> or alternatively, you're the head of the CDC, and your boss goes on TV and says it's nothing to worry about. <laughs> which is what Donald Trump did, right? Like, I, I'm sure that some of these people are like, I don't want to work for any of these people anymore because this is, <laughs> you know, it's just a, it's just such a hard, I would imagine such a hard, this is- because you know that the White House where, because presidents get in front of the press and they say stuff. yes, They just say stuff. And then you're like, oh, Mr. President, could we not say anything today? Which doesn't work. You can't, you know. These are people who love the limelight. So anyway, yes. um, bless their hearts. We we love all our secretaries because yes. uh, they're trying to do the good work. Yes. So thank you, Augie. Well,
0: thank you, Nia. Enjoyed the conversation.
1: Um, and we'll be back next time with our next in the series.
0: Yes.